Hey everyone, I'm Jen Garrett and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. On this podcast, we are going to talk about how to succeed in business and in life by putting winning strategies into practice to help you advance faster. So if you're looking to move forward and reach that next level of greatness, then you are in the right place. Now get ready. Let's suit up, show up and move the ball. Hey everyone, Jen Garrett here. It's so great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. Now, if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and also leave us a review. Now today, inside the huddle with us is Mike Jones. Mike is a football coach, a business owner, and a former NFL player who spent 12 years playing in the league as a linebacker for three teams, the LA, then Oakland Raiders, the St. Louis Rams, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike was a member of the Rams team when they won Super Bowl 34, which we'll talk about on the show. And Mike also played for the Sacramento Surge of the World League of American Football, where they won the World Bowl II championship in 1992. Mike also had a great college football career at the University of Missouri and was inducted in the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame in 2012. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jen. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad that you're here with us today, and I'm excited for us to have a chat. So share with us, how did you get into playing football to begin with? Uh, actually, I, I started playing football uh, through baseball. My uh, uh, little league baseball coach actually coached a football team. I played flag football as a 10-year-old and then played baseball for him, and then he was able to talk to my mother and let me play tackle football. And um, so my mentor, the guy that really showed me how to do everything, Clarence Stevenson, introduced me to tackle football, and it's been great, great ever since. And what was it about football that really excited you and interested you? When you're playing baseball, and baseball was, was fun. I, it was my first love. But baseball can be slow at times if you're – especially when you're playing little league baseball. You know, if you had – you know, we were – played for a team that was very, very good. So I had a lot of guys that were really good pitchers, and I used to catch. So I was involved. But if you're catching or playing in a game where a pitcher's dominating, you know, there's only really three, four guys are really interactive in the game. Everyone else is kind of standing and watching compared to football where it's action all over the field all the time. I think that was part of it. The, the action of every single play being something, whether you're playing defensive back, safety, linebacker, or on the line, you're always involved in something and, and moving around. So that's kind of what excited me about football. Gotcha. And so when you played football at University of Missouri, you actually were not a linebacker. You played running back, and then you switched to linebacker when you went pro. So let's talk about being at Mizzou. You set school records for most yards in a quarter – set the all-time mark for receptions for a running back in a season and also in a career. What did you do to ensure that you were performing at your best level while you were in college? Well, you know, it was, it was so every year that I was at the University of Missouri, it kind of gave me an idea of what if I had a chance that I probably shouldn't have been a running back. And the reason why I say that, when I first got to the University of Missouri, they didn't know what they were going to play me at. They just kind of had me listed as an athlete. So I got thrown in, and I wanted to play running back. So I got thrown in. We were a wishbone team, and I, I got put in at fullback. So first couple of days, I'm doing really well with the freshman. The, the, the varsity comes up, and, you know, the, the, the upperclassmen come in, and I get booted down to the 15th, which is typical for, for freshmen. Usually the freshman first scrimmage, the – Freshmen will start off as the group that starts, 
against the Bars. So the first time I touched the ball, we run the option. I go 80 yards on the first team. It was kind of ironic because there's two things that kind of jumped out to our coach. First, most of those guys didn't think I was a fast guy. I was tall for a running back, and I was a long strider, so it didn't look like I was running very fast when you watched me on film. But when, when you saw me in person, I ran a lot faster than the people gave me credit for. So I'll run everyone for a touchdown, and you can see the coaches on the sideline looking like, okay, who was this guy that we thought was Mike Jones is not Mike Jones? <laughs> so I go from fifth team to second team, and end up, end up starting a couple games as a true freshman. So now they're thinking I'm a – guy that can run a little bit. So now I move from fullback to tailback. So in year two, I'm playing a different position. Do pretty decent there. I mean, I, one thing I always prided myself on is being in great shape. And I end up with second in team and receiving. But our coaches get fired. So when my coach get fired, we have a new coach staff come in. And going into my junior year, when we start, they leave me at running back. There was a debate whether they're going to move me to I mean, linebacker then. So I start as a junior as a, as a tailback. We're running a different offense again. So in three years, I've even played in two different offenses and played technically three different positions because I switched the two positions from fullback to, to running back, tailback in, in an option, and then I went to I formation, I was a tailback. So then after my third year, you know, and I, and I started every game, but I wasn't getting the numbers I thought, I, I thought I'd be better at. So I literally started working out to prepare to move the linebacker my senior year at the end of the season. I'm uh, putting the weight on, getting ready to move, and then my head coach brings me in with my running back coach and says, we're going to tinker our offense and, and move you to a one-back. So now in four years, i played four different positions, and I, and I hadn't told them that I thought about moving a linebacker. And then they you know, kind of showed me what we were going to do, how they were going to feature me, but they needed me to catch the ball back. They thought I was, you know, my hands weren't as good as they liked. So over the summer, I would catch you know, somewhere between 75 and 100 footballs every day and I got better catching the football, and that's that's how I had the year where I led the team in receptions and, like I said, breaking school records. Because that one year, I had over 40 catches and no running back in Mizzou had any catches. No one had any over 25 catches, and I almost doubled it in one year. So that's how I became not only the single-season guy but the all-time leading receiver at running back. But it was something I worked at, and we go there, and then that's when I get ready for the draft. And that focus on continual improvement, putting in the work and doing the, the extra that you have to to improve your craft is certainly what's important, not only on the football field, but also in business and in life as well. And you mentioned how you had to play different positions. So you have to be very adaptable, very versatile to do yeah. that. And the same is true in the career context, in the business context, when we take different jobs. What helped you or what did you do to help make those transitions? Because those positions are, are different, right? Different skills. So how did you transition to do those different positions well? Well, the fortunate thing was, like I said, I, with the high school I went to, I had a great high school coach, but, but we had three coaches on the JV and varsity level. You didn't get a whole bunch of coaching. My skill traits weren't very good because we didn't have a lot of things to teach. And then on top of that, I, I played every position. So I, I didn't really get a chance to learn all the details of playing a position. And when I got to college, you know, of course, it, 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 you, you get a lot more coaching uh, and you get a lot more focus on what you're doing. So I was fortunate enough to have three really good coaches, running back coaches at University of Missouri, Frank Novak, Charlie Cole, and then Mike Ward. And all those guys were, were very good running back coaches. They showed me a lot of different things. All the small things I never learned in high school, you know, they showed me those and I just worked on those skill traits and tried to get better at those. So 
when I did that, I was able to improve. And just from the simple fact of having good teaching and good people in front of me that, that taught me what to do and how to do it. And football teaches us so many lessons that are not only applicable to improve our performance in sports, but also off the field. Share with us a couple lessons that you learned while you were in college and playing these different positions that helped you to be successful beyond the game. Well, the, the first thing I knew I wasn't, I, I knew two things. I knew everyone thought I wasn't very fast, so I had to prove I could run. So well, how do you do that? By training. And I always said I was always going to be the best conditioned guy on the team. And it helped that our head coach, we sent out our, we would get booklets telling us what we would need to do for the summer. And the first sentence on that booklet going into my freshman year stated, we will be the best conditioned team in the Big A. So be prepared to be in condition. So I took that as you better make sure you're in shape, if anything. If you don't know where to go or how to do it, you better make sure you're in the best shape possible. So I always prided myself on being in the best shape possible, and I think that helped me because a lot of times, you know, as a freshman, you don't know what's going on. You're trying to figure it out. But if, if you're not in shape and you're not in condition, you're going to have you're gonna have a chance of getting hurt and more and more likely have, and not have a chance of playing. So when I got to the University of Missouri, and every year I always – did well on the conditioning test. I always prided myself in being in the best shape possible. And so those things always helped me. And whatever I was short on, I mean, I, I didn't have, as they said, I wasn't a guy that had a wiggle, so I couldn't make guys miss. But if I was in the best shape possible, strength-wise and, and speed-wise, I had a good chance of being successful. Gotcha. And so now let's talk about your transition into the NFL. What was the biggest eye-opening moment for you as you went from college football to playing professionally? It was ironic because when I came out of the University of Missouri, I was a highest-rated prospect at the University of Missouri. I was supposed to be drafted somewhere between fourth and seventh round. The thing that they said, which is, it, it is me, you know, I wasn't great at anything, but I did a lot of things good. I, I caught the ball out of the backfield. That may have been my strongest attribute. I was okay. I was solid in blocking, pass protection. I knew pass protection schemes. I had decent speed for, for a tailback. And, uh, but, again, my strongest attribute was catching the ball out of the backfield. So when the draft comes – it was, I mean, it was disappointing. I, I won't sit here and tell you it wasn't. I thought I was going to get drafted, and it was a 12-round draft, and I didn't get drafted. So the first thing that jumped out to me was, you know, I go from a guy that's supposed to be the highest-rated guy in my school to not even being drafted. So that was an eye-opener for me. But, you know, I had, to, I had to bounce back from that. And then when I got to the NFL, when I got to practice, I'm the youngest guy on the team at the time. I'm 22 years old. I'm, I'm with guys that are – the Raiders were – known for having older players. So I had guys 32, 33, which is in NFL, very old, anxious almost. And sitting there talking to guys that had children, wives, mortgages, all the things of, of what you have to do as a productive adult kind of hits you in the face. It's not college football where you, know, you get a scholarship check, you get enough money to pay your rent, have some money to do something on the weekend. But, you know, having the reality of being a productive person in society at the highest level and you're trying to figure out a new position on how to make a team at the highest level of any type of sport you're playing. So it was that, that was the eye-opening part about it. And were there any other players that kind of took you under their wing and, and tried to mentor and coach you and tell you what you needed to do? You know what? I had a couple guys. I mean, I always talk about, you know, Marcus Allen, uh, Ronnie Lott, and, and Howie Long, and Winston Moss. I mean, I, I had, like I said, a, a couple guys that, you know, they – 
Winston, myself, Ronnie Light, and Roger Craig all got there at the same time. So I was a rookie, and those guys were veterans. And then, of course, Marcus Allen. I mean, Marcus Allen's the ultimate professional, you know. And it was ironic because every practice, when they when the Raiders signed me as a linebacker, they told me they wanted me to be the, a cover guy, guy to cover running backs out of the backfield. So every single practice, whenever we did one-on-ones, I had to go with Marcus Allen. What makes Marcus so good is he knows the game so well, but he's not afraid to share with guys. So when, when I would work on different things after practice, he would come and say, Mike, when you're covering a guy, you need, I'm looking to do this, you might want to do that. So he helped me out on that. End. You know, and, and, and again, Winston Moss, who you know, I played behind four years before I became a starter, you know, he always showed me little things. Them guys not knowing that I had never played linebacker because I never told them, but they just gave me information to hopefully make me better. And that was one thing I said, if you hear about the Raiders and all the craziness that goes on with the Raiders, unless you've been there and work with them and see the guys, they always looked out for each other. They always try to make you better uh, when I was there. And it helped me immensely. And as you're going through your first season in the NFL, was there a game that stood out or a moment that you really learned a lesson about this is what it's like to play professional football? You know, I had a couple lessons. The, the, the first lesson, and they were both uh, first games, my first preseason game. You know, we're in practice and I'm getting better, but the guys are telling me, you know, hey, the speed of the game is going to surprise you in preseason and it's going to jump out at you in, in the regular season. So, you know, you're hearing that, not really paying attention. So Raiders have a rule, well, not a rule, it's kind of a understood deal. The first team plays 12 plays exactly. On the 13th play, the second team has to run out there. Well, I was, they had me on the second team, so I'm watching in the series going on. So you're thinking they're not going to, you know, we're not going to make a transition. We're in the middle of a series. It's like second down or third down. So 12 plays come off. You see a play, the, the, the guy gets tackled, and you see all 11 guys jogging off the field. So you're looking like, okay, they were serious. So now I'm running on the field, and the guy is me and another rookie, and both of us are looking at each other like, okay, they weren't kidding. I thought, we thought it was like a practical joke they were doing on, on the rookie. So we run in there. Now everyone's in the huddle. Seven out of 11 are new guys. So we all kind of looking at each other, and we don't know what the play is, you know, because the signal calls kind of caught off guard. He's my, he was my roommate. We looked at the sideline. He gets the, says the signal. Now the offense is coming up. Now we're playing against the San Francisco 49ers, and they still had their first unit in. So now we're scrambling, trying to figure out how to get lined up. We finally get lined up, which is totally wrong. The ball snapped. They run the ball. And, I mean, it's like I'm like a speed bump. The guy, the offensive lineman runs me over. I mean, it, when I sit down and think about it, I can't do anything but laugh because none of us was prepared. And you look at the play, it looked like it was common. So then, so okay, we, we understand that. We get through the preseason. I make the team. First game, regular season, opening kickoff. I'm on the kickoff return. And they kept warning me. like, God, he said, the games, the speed of the game is going to change. He said, you see preseason, you thought it was fast. He said, now these guys are receiving paychecks. They got to keep their jobs. And, I mean, the first game, I don't think I even touched the guy I was supposed to block on the kickoff team. I mean, he ran by me so many times so fast that I didn't realize, again, how fast the game was, the speed of the game. And that's the one thing that everyone says the first time they play at the, in the NFL or whatever level, how fast these guys move after you've been watching them in the preseason and, and then going to the, the speed of the game. Gotcha. Yeah, I've had a lot of folks on the show, and one of the things that they commonly talk about is the speed of the game and how much it's different playing at mm -hmm. the college level or playing at the NFL level versus in college. 
So let's talk about, so you were part of a team that ended up moving cities, right? So the Raiders were in LA. They ended yep. up moving to Oakland, 94 time from what was that like moving from LA to Oakland culturally switching fan bases, so to speak. And, and how was that move for you? Well, you know, the first year we moved and a lot of people don't know this, we never physically moved. All we did was come, go up on Saturday night and play a game and then fly back Sunday. So we actually lived in L.A. We practiced in L.A. We, we never practiced in Oakland the first year. We would practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We'll have a walkthrough on Saturday. And then you would, you would fly up Saturday evening, stay in a hotel. And then Sunday, the families, we would get four tickets. Every player would get four tickets on a plane that they would charter for the families. Families would fly up Sunday. They'd leave out maybe at 9 o'clock, maybe 10. I think they had two two ways, 9 and 10. We would play at 1. Then we would have dinner in Oakland at the hotel we stayed at. And then we would fly back to L.A. that evening. So we never stayed other than playing in the game the first year. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Some, I, I did not know that. I, I like to pride myself a lot. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people didn't know that. I mean, they were like, we had 20 road games. We had four preseason games in which we either flew to Oakland or we flew wherever we're playing. I said we had 16 regular season games that either we flew to Oakland or we flew to the team we're playing against. So we flew every single weekend that we played against. Wow, that's a lot. Yep. Yep. And did you find it difficult not practicing, not really getting to play before games in Oakland that first season? No, you know what? Because when you're playing, we understood that the – like I said, the field in Oakland wasn't an issue. Playing on the road wasn't an issue. Playing games wasn't an issue. The issue came at the end of the season when we were traveling so much that it caught up with you. When you fly every weekend to a game, you get wore out just by getting on a plane. And even though it was only an hour flight, I think it wore on us later in the season because we started off fast. We were 8-2 and two going into week 11, and we lose all six games and don't make the playoffs. It worked well at the beginning. And then at the end of the season, when you have guys getting seen, and this other problem is when you have injuries, and we start getting some injuries, treating those injuries when you're always flying back and forth didn't, I don't think it helped. So we stayed relatively injury free those first 10 games. And then we lose to the eventual Super Bowl champion, Dallas Cowboys, and we got a lot of guys banged up. And I don't think we fully recovered from that, and we lost six games because of it. Gotcha. And yeah, I completely agree with you that uh, traveling quite a bit, it does take a toll. I've done that quite often, not currently, thankfully, but uh, earlier in my career, I was always on an airplane and I I would actually come home with a suitcase and then I'd have another one packed ready to go the next day. Uh, So I know firsthand what it's like uh, traveling all the time and how that can affect you. And I'm not playing football. I'm just going to business meetings and and doing other things. So I'm not having a physical uh, workout included in there. So let's talk about you. So after you played with the Raiders, you went to the Rams. And what was that like for you being able to to play so close to home? Well, you know what? It it was every place I ended up, it was kind of ironic how I ended there. When I I went to University of Missouri, when I came out of high school, I was KU's number one recruit. And I was going to KU. My dad is from the state of Kansas. KU is 35 miles from Kansas City. My mom wanted me to go to KU. And it was it's kind of ironic who my dad, he never said anything. He never said he wanted me to go to KU or he wanted me to go to Missouri. And uh so I ended up deciding to go to Missouri. I went to I went and the reason why I switched, I was going to KU. I went on a recruiting visit. I don't think I met one person, one person met me <laughs> that we liked each other. It was like mm-hmm. the worst recruiting visit. And it had nothing to do with the coaches. I did not mix with the guys at KU. Then I go to University of Missouri on a recruiting trip. 
we signed 25 guys and 15 of them were on my recruiting visit that week. So we just hit it off. So it completely flipped. So then again, when I go to the Raiders, the Raiders were the last team I thought I would go to because I mean, I thought I was a running back. Well, I went to one visit to the Raiders. I never got out of L.A. So I signed there. And then when I go to the St. Louis Rams, this is even crazier than that. I'm in St. Louis. I'm supposed to go on a visit to Miami and it didn't work out. Supposed to go to Tampa Bay, it didn't work out. And I get a phone call from my agent telling me to go over to, to Rams Park. Now, Rams Park, where we practice at, it's 10 minutes from where I live. I'm like, I'm not going over there. He's like, why not? I said, there's another linebacker in town. He's like, how you know Lewis is in town? I said, Harold, you represent Lewis. Me and Lewis talk to each other. So <laughs> me and another guy my agent represent are going to see the Rams and talk about signing it. So he's like, going over there, want to talk to you. So I go there, and I didn't know at the time that the guy that, that I played for at the Raiders, Mike White, was assistant head coach. So Mike calls and tell, tells Harold to tell, tell me to come over. So I go see him. We laughing. They brought Lewis to come in to sign. It went from Lewis sign to I signed with him. I never thought I'd play in St. Louis. And that had nothing to do with St. Louis. I didn't think I was that type of guy that what they were looking for. So I, I end up signing with them. My parents are happy. The guy told you when I first turned me on to football, my mom and dad couldn't make it. So his in-laws live in St. Louis. So the guy that turned me on to football that taught me how to play football, Clarence Stevenson, was the guy at the signing when I signed with the Rams. We'll talk about the St. Louis Rams Super Bowl in a minute, but tell us, was there a memorable regular season game for you while you were with the Rams? Opening game. The year before, the Rams had such – there was a lot of turmoil and there was a lot of dissension. A lot of things were going on with the Rams that ended up getting a guy fired, Coach Brooks, and then getting Coach Neal the job there. So the first game was almost like, you know, it was a breath of fresh air for everyone. Being able to win a, a game because in the Dome, they hadn't won a lot of games, I think, in – the Dome opened at the end of 97. They didn't win any games in 97. I think they may have won one game near the end of the season or middle of the season. So by us winning the first game at home, you know, it was like, you know, not necessarily winning the Super Bowl, but it was something that got the fans truly excited. We were a better football team, and everyone was excited about us winning. Gotcha. That really set the tone for a great season to come. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Super Bowl 34. So mm-hmm. January 30th, you're in Atlanta, you're about to play at the Georgia Dome. You guys have a 13 and 3 record. It's your first playoff appearance uh, since 1989, I believe, which is the, yep. the Rams weren't even in St. Louis then. They were in LA at the yep. time. Um, so you're playing the Tennessee Titans, who also had a 13-3 record. What was it like that morning? What was going through your head as you were in the Super Bowl? And Again, the team's never won a Super Bowl before. So how are you feeling? Well, well I mean, think about this. St. Louis never hosted a playoff game. So the year we go to the Super Bowl was the first time St. Louis hosted an NFL football playoff game, an NFC championship game. It was the first time we had won a conference outright. And for the city of St. Louis. So all these firsts were going on. So now we get to the Super Bowl. The craziest thing about playing Tennessee was we played them early in the year and we lose to them 24-20. And we felt that they were one of the best teams in the AFC and we felt that we were one of the best teams, even though it was only seven games to the season. We felt we were one of the better teams in the NFC and we, we thought we had a chance of playing, again, playing them again. Of course, it only being a Super Bowl. So stars in line, we, we go and play uh, Tennessee – uh, in the Super Bowl, and the night before, when you talk to guys who played in the Super Bowl, everyone says there's the team that wins talks about the talk, the, the person that speaks at their dinner. Well, Randy Cross from CBS is our speaker, and he talks about 
one of his linebackers, one of the linebackers played with the 49ers, Bunch, that was a backup player, and he made one of the best plays in Super Bowl history, you know, on fourth down. He said, one of you guys that, that everyone doesn't know it's not a household name is going to make a play. You know, the guys that, that everyone knows, the Marshall Fox and the Kurt Warner stories and the Isaac and all them, but there's going to be a guy that makes a play that's not a household name that everyone will talk about. And it's so ironic because that morning we always eat breakfast. It was Kevin Carter, Ty Light, DeMarco, and Keith Lyle. And the reason why we ate together was because we usually were on the left side of the defense and we always were together doing different things. So we were sitting there talking and, and, and just wondering who that guy was going to be that makes a play that people will talk about in the Super Bowl. Gotcha. So let's fast forward to that. So we're in the fourth quarter of the game. Uh, yep. The Rams are, are leading 23-16, right? Yep. Um, final drive of the game. St. Louis is now on the 10-yard line. There's six seconds remaining. And uh, you tell us what happened. I'm not going to say anything. Go ahead and describe well, it. Well, you know, we it, it played before, and, and again, it's so many different things. But the play before, it, everyone watched the game. Steve McNair put on his Superman cape and made a play that was unbelievable. And to go a step further, we knew what they were going to run. We had practiced. They were attempting to run a hook and lateral. And we had practiced it all week. I don't know why our defensive coordinator knew this, but he just kept saying, you know, if we get in the position, we got to be able to defend the hook and lateral. We played it perfect. Jumped the routes. Steve McMahon runs around, throws the ball downfield. They catch the ball at the 10-yard line. And we're looking at each other like, we covered this perfectly. This guy still makes a play. So we, we call up bread and butter defense. It's, uh, we, we call a stunt. Uh, we call up front, which is base. And they called a stunt, which was blast. They ran a line, a line stunt, and it was 77. 77, our coverage. That coverage is a kind of a combination, mix everything up into one uh, deal. Depending on what the offense runs, that's what we do defensively. We'll make adjustments to it. So on my side, there was a call that was called combo. Combo means it's kind of like, if you think of it in basketball, it's like a, a match zone. If a guy runs through your zone, you carry him to the next guy, then you look look and see if someone else comes through. So we were running our coverage, and the tight end went up the field. So when the tight end goes up the field, I'm supposed to carry him to the safety, our back safety, and then a cornerback outside is, is looking for anything that comes flat or, or, or vertical outside. Now, Sean City takes everything vertical. So as he's carrying them, my rule is to look, in, look outside and make sure no one comes underneath me. So if a wide receiver runs a zone pass where he runs like he's going outside and it comes in, I'm supposed to come back. And that's exactly what the guy did. So I'm looking at him the whole time. And no one, when you watch the television, it looks like I, don't, I just come out of nowhere. But I'm looking at him even though I'm carrying a tight end up the field. So I'm looking at Kevin and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to kill this guy because he doesn't even see me. <laughs> and unbeknownst to me, Kevin knew exactly where I was going to be at because they had been working on that coverage all week and said we were going to be in. So both teams knew what each other was going to do. It's just, like I said, the play before, they out-executed us, and then we were fortunate enough to execute what we did. I put my foot in the ground. I see Kevin coming back. They throw Kevin the ball, and um, I make the tackle, get him on the ground, and we won the Super Bowl. And so you made the tackle one yard short of the goal line. And so, yep. um, so you were, uh, you've become known as the tackle because of that, uh, that key play. And so it, it's a fantastic story. And I'm, thank you for sharing that with us. So you guys have won the Super Bowl. And what did you do after that? 
we had a post-game party. The next morning, our flights, now our game, we're on the East Coast, so the game doesn't end. It's a long game. The game doesn't end to almost a quarter to 12. So uh, or, it, was about, it, was, it was late. You know, that party goes to about 3, 3 in the morning, 3 or 4. And then we, we have a flight to catch because all of us have to be back because we're doing our parade the next day. So we fly out at about 7 on about three hours sleep. You uh, the parade. You have to go. You take stuff home. And then you uh, meet back over at, the, at Rams Park. And they had, which is pretty cool, they had Ram trucks for all the, all the players. And each player had a truck. And, you know, they sat in the back of the truck. You know, we drove downtown to St. Louis. Now, the, the ironic thing was this. This is like the first time I've ever seen I-70 completely shut off. There was no one on the highway. You didn't see anyone there. I mean, it was like we were riding. We were the president. Mm. Uh, pre- we were the president. We were going downtown. So we're driving down. Still don't see anybody, So which is kind of weird. We go to the hotel where the trucks are. So we all of us get lined up. You have a driver, and we drive the trucks. And when we, and the trucks come around to Market Street, there's a there's a plaza, and you can see the sea of people as soon as you come off the street. There's it's probably three-quarters to a million people saturated right there. And, I mean, it's unbelievable. You just see a sea of people, everyone excited, you know, waving, yelling. And you didn't realize it was 25 degrees outside. You, you just felt the warmth of all the people that were there. Gotcha. That must have been an amazing feeling. Again, it was first Super Bowl win for the franchise, first NFL championship for the franchise since 1951. So it was a big deal to Absolutely. win this game. So let's talk about, you've obviously done some great things on the field. Let's transition off the field because you're certainly doing some wonderful things with your company to make a difference, to help save lives in the St. Louis area today as we're going through this pandemic. So share with us a little bit about your companies and what you guys are doing. Well, um, we're doing a couple of things. Uh, Platform Healthcare Solutions, we're we're a uh, medical devices and billing company. Um, And we also uh, sell PPE equipment. Um, we're we're partnered with the city of St. Louis and three of their clinics, Affinia Health, People's Clinic, and Care St. Louis, in which we're doing COVID testing for the city. We've tested approximately 6,000 people in the city of St. Louis and the county uh, for COVID testing, providing the services, uh, the laboratory services for these clinics and also the city of St. Louis and St. Louis County. That's great. It's so important. I mean, we're going through some uncertain times right now, and all of us need to pull together and do what we can. And I think your company is doing a fantastic job to help uh, provide PPE, to help test people. So I thank you for everything that you're doing. And where can people learn more about Platform Healthcare Solutions? Do you have a website? Yeah, we have a website, www.platformhcs.com. Perfect. And we'll be sure to put that in the show notes as well. And you have another company as well. That's the uh, only African-American cannabis lab uh, in the state of Missouri. So tell us about that too. Well, you know what, we're, uh, we're doing the testing for uh, cannabis in the state of Missouri. Uh, Our company's called Green Hills Labs. Um, Missouri is a uh, medical cannabis uh, state. The state opened up uh, two years ago. Uh, the opportunity to bid um, and win licenses. We thought because we were in the, the laboratory field um, and medical field, that it'd be a great fit for what we're doing. Uh, so we applied for the license and uh, we were awarded a license in uh, January of 2019. 
uh, excuse me, 2020. And uh, we're uh, the only African-American um, laboratory that was uh, given a license for testing in the state of Missouri. That's great. And do you have a website for that lab or, or social yes. media? Yeah, we have a website. It's uh, www.greenhillslabs.com. So you can check that as well. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll be sure to put those in the show notes. And what I want to do now is I want to transition to my two-minute drill and just ask you seven fun questions. Are you ready? Okay, yep. All right, first question. What is your favorite food? Favorite food is redfish. Okay. How about what is your favorite movie? Favorite movie, I will have to say uh, Ali. Okay. How about what is your favorite sports team, professional sports team? Favorite sports team are the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, I was thinking maybe you were going to say St. Louis Cardinals since you mentioned you started off with baseball or the Royals since you're closer to Kansas City. The the Royals, it was one of my favorite teams, but the the Lakers have superseded them. I gotcha. Okay. Uh, Our next question is, what is the best piece of advice that you've received from a coach or a mentor? The best piece of advice I received was from Coach Vermeer. And Coach Ramil, when I got into coaches, I asked him, you know, what made him a great coach? Because every program he went to in three years, they've been in the championship from high school all the way to the NFL. And he said, Mike, I think the one thing I do is I I consider myself a teacher. And I know I have to be a teacher of men. And they just happen to be whatever sport they're playing. So being, being a teacher of men. Is one thing that they always that Coach Mill always implemented on me, and I try to do the same thing with the guys I, I coach. Gotcha. That's great advice. Um, I'm going to flip it now and ask, what is the best piece of advice that you would give to somebody? My, the best piece of advice it's, I would give anyone is, is always work on the things that do not require time. If you can be hardworking, if you can always be on time, and you always give great effort, those things do not require any type of talent but everyone can do it. Absolutely. I like that. My next question is, what is something that most people don't know about you? Well, we went over it, but most people wouldn't know that I, I'm one of nine. I'm one of nine. And then the, the other thing is I was a running back in college. Gotcha. Okay. And then my last question is, if you could be any superhero, who would you be and why? You know what? I, I'm about to go with the Black Panther. Uh, I think the Black Panther symbolizes a lot of great thing in everyone being good being good at heart using the tools for good that you have i think those two things speak uh speak volumes of that of that character it's a great uh, great superhero to pick and certainly with uh with all that's happened here in the last couple of weeks with uh chadwick boseman passing i'm deeply saddened and i was in complete shock when i learned of his passing um and i think he did a great job portraying everything that you mentioned about the black panther that's what he um embodied outside of that character as well absolutely well as we end today's show mike do you have any last thoughts for our listeners we are in a time you know of of change i think everyone needs to be uh more receptive of of their surroundings and making sure that we're trying to do everything for the common good of every person That's fantastic. It's a great way to end the show. Thank you so much, Mike, for being on today's episode. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening, and we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball. 
check out my website at www.jenniferagarrett.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.